hit. Back up the middle, base hit. Here comes Seager. Carter gets the stop sign as Thomas got to it quickly. So he'll hold, but the Rangers have scored first. He's not bunting, and he hits a base hit into right center field. Young comes around third, and Thomas misses the ball. It's rolling to the wall. Low around third. He'll score, and around the third base, Jonah Heim. Now it is hit to left field and deep. Guriel chasing. It is gone. Marcus Simeon. The 2-2. Marte. Strike three called. And the Texas Rangers are World Series champions. Van Morning Show, Sportsnet 590, the Van Ben and Sprint Gunning. Don't get called out for the final out to lose the World Series. Swing the bat! Good for Alec Thomas also that that was not the defining moment of the World Series, watching a ground ball slide under his glove uh, into center field. Might be still for a lot of people. It's, well... It's not a great look, but it's all right. The uh, the Diamondbacks with the underdogs going into this World Series. They are the losers of the World Series, which is kind of the, the headline. It's not that the Rangers won their first mm. World Series in franchise history. It's, I think, Blue Jays fans happy that our long national nightmare is over. Gabriel Moreno is just a National League champion, not a World Series champion as the, the Rangers take Game 5 in Arizona. Go 11-0 on the road this mm-hmm. postseason. And as I mentioned... They avenged 2011 being one strike away twice from winning the World Series and one fly ball to right field caught by Nelson Cruz away from winning a World Series. They don't. They did yesterday as they beat the Arizona Diamondbacks who failed to become World Series champions despite only winning 84 games during the regular season. Yeah, congrats to the Rangers uh, putting a bow on a wonderful postseason there. I mean, you look at you you look at this team, and yeah, it's what is it, 52 years they've been waiting to do this, all the close calls they had, cards on the table, I'll be honest. I saw them go up, what is it, three runs in the year, four or five runs in the top of the ninth there, and I said, all right, well, can't wait to see how they blow this in the morning because I got to get to bed because I got a morning show to host. Uh, and they managed not to blow it. So honestly, I'm just surprised they they managed not to skirt uh, some type of disaster because the second I saw the ball go under Thomas's glove, I said, oh no, the Rangers are definitely losing this game because to bust it wide open with this like very big gaff play, just with all of the close calls they would have, it would just make the inevitable heartbreak worse. I really did think uh, that was going to happen, but man, kudos to them. I mean, Seager, Ivaldi, there's a million plays you can go with this. Simeon and not Gab Moreno. I still will say, I think there is, I don't know how large it is, but I still think there is a subsect of the fan base that said, no, let him, yeah, let him I, win uh, so we can be as angry as possible. I, I guess. I know this. I, I know this because I'm through. I, I, li- I know this because I lived through the Nazem Kadri discourse, okay? And every playoff round win, every big mm. goal was another arrow in the quiver to say, way to go, glasses. <laughs> kind of fits there too. So yeah, I think uh, there's just, there are, there is a subsect of people feeling that way today for sure. Uh, I think there's also a subsect of Blue Jays fans who are happy for Marcus Semyon, who yeah, departed in free for agency, sure. but got a, a deal. And like I was talking to John Morosi yesterday about like that, that contract was viewed in the moment, $175 million. Kajillion dollars. Right. And Marcus Semyon had a, a real good year in Oakland, uh, but like one, and before he emerged and hit the most home runs ever hit by a second baseman in Major League Baseball history and is is not 22. But and then first year didn't hit his first home run until late 
May. I looked it up. I thought it was June. It was like May 30th uh, in his first season. Mm-hmm. But no, he, he bounced back. Had a great season this year. It was not having a great postseason until the last couple of games. It's a home run. But yeah, Rangers win their first World Series in franchise history. To me, there's one big takeaway. Mm-hmm. And thank goodness it's the Rangers winning this thing. They are the deserving champs. Despite the fact they, they did not win the American League West, blew it in kind of spectacular fashion there on the last game of the regular season and started their journey on the road. Everyone in baseball did that, though. If you're not a team of some note blowing something in one mm-hmm. way or another in baseball, look at the Braves, look at the Dodgers, the Rangers, the inevitable champs. They blew the division. Mm-hmm. That's what you had to do in 2023. Yeah, except, yeah, when it came to the postseason, you you, you got you to gotta come through, which they did. But But that's a deserving winner, right? Like, that was... I guess it was a surprise to see them winning the American League West for a, a, or leading the American League West for as long as they did during the regular season. But once they established themselves as a team that could score a bunch of runs and paper over some bullpen issues and the good starters uh, that they had, that that did feel like a team, especially the one that, that came into Rogers Center and mm-hmm. blew away the Blue Jays in four games without Adolis Garcia, who... Boy, if he stays healthy throughout the World Series, aren't we looking at him as as World Series MVP? Uh, instead, it's Corey Seager winning his second. That's a deserving Major League Baseball champion. I will say the takeaway for me, though, a couple of teams in them and the Diamondbacks, who were a 100-loss team a couple of seasons ago, uh, Rangers lost 102 two years ago, and then threw a bunch of money at the problem in signing Corey Seager, in signing Marcus Semien, in signing Jacob DeGrom. And then when those guys weren't giving them everything they they wanted out of, the, uh, out of this team, they weren't uh, lifting them to new heights, they went out and jumped the trade market and got Araldis Chapman. And you can talk about his uneven play, sure. I mean, he did factually get a couple outs in a World Series clinching game, has been there before. And then when Jacob DeGrom... Mm-hmm predictably suffered his season-ending injury. They went out into the trade market and acquired a guy who's pitched in a game seven of a World Series and Max Scherzer, mm-hmm. who also went how down that, with injury. How'd that go? But they also acquired yeah, they Jordan him. Montgomery. Like, mm-hmm. this is a team that just never stopped trying to win, despite the fact that they were one of the worst teams in baseball just a couple of seasons ago. They're, they're now a top-five team in payroll. That's the lesson. It's a better lesson to be learned than the one I guess they're learning in Arizona, which is, ah, you only need 84 wins to get into the playoffs. And once you get into the playoffs, anything can happen. I don't think that's the lesson they learned in Arizona. I don't think the blueprint there is let's go win 84 games next year. Heaven forbid we win more than 40 or 54% of our games. Uh, shout out to uh, who, uh, DePoto in, in Seattle there. I think the thing the thing I look at with this, with this Rangers team is you're right. You do want to reward aggressiveness and we always see it, right? There is in every sport, there is a lesson learned from a championship game. For a while, it felt like in baseball, the, the secret sauce was having a murderer's row out of the pen. I don't think anybody he's going to look at that Rangers team and say, that's how you do it with the pen that they have built. That is the recipe. No, it was fine. It was good enough to get the job done, but that's not the reason why they went out and won the world series or, or even made it to one. I love the idea of a team that is that aggressive being rewarded with a championship. It's all we ever want is teams to say not to, because how many times do we see it where a team has a couple of bad injuries and you go, ah, it's just not their year. What are you going to do? And 
They had a couple of those and then a couple more and a couple more. They, they and a ju- couple of years ago, it was the Braves suffering right. a, a, a Ronald Acuna Jr. Yep. injury. So maybe that's in the, the lesson the- teams need to learn. Right. It's, it's a weird never postseason. Never give up. Well, I mean, kind of. Like, yeah. It's a weird postseason. Things can happen. It is the sport where one player, even a superstar one, can kind of have the least impact. So even losing a guy like an Acuna or look at this year's team with the Scherzer going down or a DeGrom, it it, it should kind of show you that just, you know, one injury shouldn't kind of kowtow things. And honestly, it's a it's a it's a weird way to put it because it didn't end up being a good season. But the Blue Jays know that. They lost their number two starter for the season. He just disappeared off the face of the earth. And Alec who's our, Manoa. Who's their number one starter? Okay, sure. Like, who's uh, their opening day starter? Okay, that's this is true. But, I mean, Gosman and him, 1A, 1B. We can, yeah. we can quibble. The, the point I'm making is that the Blue Jays know that. They lost a Cy Young caliber guy. He was a finalist for the Cy Young Award. He just he vanished off the face of the earth, and it barely affected them at all. Not to say they wouldn't have been better if they had a full force Manoa, but the pitching wasn't what did them in. So I think that that is what I honestly hope is the lesson. Like sometimes it's, oh, you need versatility. And, you know, we look at that Cubs team and ah, Ben Zobrist. If you don't have one of those, there's no way you can do it. I really hope the lesson that teams learn out of this, the one I, I really wish they would take that that is not going to happen is give your manager some autonomy. That, let's, not get, let's not get crazy here. That's not happening. And hire point. an old manager. Yeah, an old guy. I do. Ooh, I, I I don't I don't know if Bruce Bochy smokes, but it looks like he does. So I so, I'm not say. I'm not in favor of smoking. You shouldn't smoke, but my goodness, if you're going to be Maybe a major league manager, manager should, though, yeah, yeah, we don't have to see it, but like, like we it, have to like exactly. be open to the possibility that the manager smokes. I'd like to. Uh, here's what I would like to hear out of my manager is like a story <laughs> of him having a cigarette at the end of a long road trip or something mm. like that. I think that's what you'd like to hear, but that that is not the lesson that's going to come out of this. Is hire an old manager and give him all the autonomy you want. Now, there's no way teams in 2024 are going to take that lesson out of this, but I do hope the team see the Rangers not throwing in the towel. And, and realize that there's a way to go about this, especially with the expanded postseason. And quite frankly, I know they just lost in the World Series, but the Diamondbacks should be the poster child for that as well. To your point, they won 84 games and they played yeah. in the World Series. Now, I think Yay. their 84 games are a little different. You know, I know this point has been bandied about, but the record with and without Moreno, you know, sure. the backup catcher is part of the team too. So maybe we shouldn't just look at those games as he though was, they don't He count. was in the lineup for the last four games yeah. of the season. They lost, lost, right? Yeah, yeah they, they lost all of them. Yeah, he was in the lineup for the World Series. What too, a bunter, though. In- incredible bunter. <laughs> First time since 1991 that the three-hole hitter has been asked to Drop down a sacrifice bunt in a World Series game. The last one was Kirby Puckett in '91, and, and that guy, that guy just feels like somebody who should be laying down a bunt. Kirby Puckett? Yeah, I'm being sarcastic. <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> my favorite, quickly, my favorite Kirby Puckett story. I forget who it was, but it was a teammate of his, and he was looking at his first game check, just like kind of wistfully, like, "Wow, I can't believe I'm making this much money." And Kirby Puckett apparently walked up to him and said, first game check, eh? And the guy said, yeah. And he goes, he pulled out a wad of cash out of his pocket and said, you want me to cash it for you? I love that. Amazing. Yeah. Uh, so, it, it, yeah, that Gabriel Moreno sacrifice bunt in the middle of this game did not result in a run because the Diamondbacks, quite notably, did not score a run in this baseball game, despite the fact they had Zach Gallen at the absolute tippy-top peak of his powers, no hitter through six innings. Uh, maybe they'll be back. They won 84 games. This was a surprise season for them to to make the playoffs in general. Uh, and Tori Lovello was instrumental in getting them here and 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 super vocal at times. Uh, 
he had some kind of curious remarks at the conclusion of this one. Um, I'm just sorry. I'm sorry I didn't do my job to get us there. Um, but I will. We all will. And um, we know they're out there. We love them. They can say what they want to us in the good times and the bad, but we know what, they're, what they want. They want a world championship as badly as we do. We all bleed Sedona red. All right. Uh, like, I'm all for guys apologizing unnecessarily. I do, like, honestly, if, if I go down the list of things that I, I think were, were good about the Kyle Dubas tenure, that might be top three, right? Like, that he, he took it on himself, whether yeah. it was his fault or not, whether it was, yeah, him de- de- deciding to... He taught to, Jack Campbell the way. Yeah, whatever. It was It was on him. The buck stopped with him, but... Yeah, your team scored no runs. I guess you could say that part of that is because he didn't allow one of their best hitters to swing the bat. Yeah. Instead, asked him to sacrifice. But I guess you can make the argument that he didn't have the bullpen warming in the seventh inning, despite you know Zach Gallen looking as good as he did. Sometimes, third time through the order, guys struggle uh, to get the outs that they were able to get through the first six innings of this thing. But no, you okay? You won eighty-four games. You lost to the superior team. That's that's quite a lot to be putting on yourself that you have to apologize. You are the manager, after all. I I, I don't think even the most strident, you know, manager defender or or talk the, the person that believes it's the most important of anybody that watches baseball would 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 talk about that manager being anywhere near to the level of import as say like an NFL head coach or even I don't know to a lesser degree. An NHL head coach, Tori DeLavello, really thinks he he's the problem here. It's it's me. Okay, there's so much to take out of this. First things first. There's nothing more to say on it, but I find it extremely funny the phrase "we all bleed Sedona red." Right. Normally here we be we bleed blue. We bleed red. just the particular shade of it. I I liked him throwing that in there. Baseball managers are doing too much. We know you're not in control. Okay, mm-hmm. Tori Lavello, like I know you're a respected man in the game and you have your own opinions on things and not to say you are being completely babysat, but you're not Bruce Bochy. We know we know how this works. So you're coming out and this is part of the thing and you mentioned it about Dubas, the fact that he would come out and wear it even when it was not on him to wear. I think sometimes with people that rings a little hollow the other way. It, no one need, You don't need to apologize for anything. If this would have been a case of your team looking completely unrepa- unprepared or... You know, I I think this all would have been overplayed. But if somehow the mad dog thing would have been seen as a distraction, then maybe you get to wear some of this. You're an 84-win team that somehow found yourself in the World Series. Every manager, every coach is going to have decisions you could second guess. But to come out there and and wear it like that, I I honestly, it just rings as kind of unauthentic on Hall. I will say the thing I like about it is that I and this is so much of just Toronto sports and what we've heard at the end of seasons is that, you know, guys, teams lose in the first round or they lose in the second round. And it's a lot of, well, this was a good building block. We're really proud of the steps we made, yada, yada, yada. It was encouraging to just hear somebody say this wasn't good enough after the end of a season as opposed to couching it in. Right. Well, we we took some strides and we like it. And because Tamp- that's the truth, but really respected us in well, the handshake line. Like, I mean, it was nice to hear. Like, so I guess I'm of two minds of it. I know I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth. It is on hollow, but it's nice to see someone just say, yes, this isn't good enough, even though it clearly was good enough for this Diamondbacks team. Yeah, and this is a Diamondbacks team that has a very young core, 
headlined by Corbin Carroll, but also Gabriel Moreno and, and Zach Gallen. Like, mm-hmm. maybe they're going to be back there. I, and nobody expected this out of this team that just barely made it into the playoffs. Again, 84 wins. Um, but you never know with these. Like, maybe this is the best shot they're going to get. For sure. You never. Entirely possible. No. Like, everybody makes the playoffs and. Maybe they can improve on 84 wins, but they play in a pretty tough division with the team that won 100 games and the mm-hmm. Dodgers and a Giants team that took a step back, but they love to throw money at the problem. Um, yeah, it's it's quite – and the Padres, of course, mm-hmm. underperformed. They were like – Passed around the Owen, half. But... Owen 15 – we'll get to that later on in the program. They're like 0-15 in extra innings this this season. What does that look like if they if – Reverse they... Vikings? I didn't know that. <laughs> oh, That's yeah. Good. No, they were the least clutch uh, team in Major League Baseball. But uh, it does feel like this is the start of something in Arizona, but you never know. Sometimes these things have a weird way of working out that this may have been their best opportunity to strike. And I I, I appreciate somebody recognizing that possibility that once you're there and you had a pitcher shoving mm-hmm. the way Zach Gallen did and you had yeah. a million opportunities, what did they end up? 0 for 9 with it's runners not, in scoring position. In that baseball game, yeah, 0 for 9. They left 11 on base against Nate Evaldi, who they were calling the traffic cop because he allowed nine base runners over six innings and was able to uh, not just limit the damage, uh, allow no damage. And uh, his teams have only lost once in the postseason when he's been on the mound. Like It's Corey Seager winning his second World Series MVP, and it's also Nate Evaldi cementing himself as one of the all-time playoff performers. That's that's my biggest takeaway from this game. I mean, obviously, Seager and, you know, we had the conversation yesterday and, hey, it's, you know, he could just stay healthy the rest of uh, his career and maybe we don't have to have these quibbles about the amount of games he played. But Evaldi is almost the more fun conver- conversation. I mean, it's just we see these guys in all sports who are – no one's going to look at Evaldi and say, oh, that's a Hall of Famer. No one's going to look at Evaldi and say, oh, he's an all-time great. We're going to remember forever. But when you think of this kind of mini era of Major League Baseball, I mean, he has been at the tip of the spear of closing World Series for a couple of different teams now. I mean, he does it with the Rangers to be seen, or to end this 52-year drought. Guys who can come through in these moments, it's just they're so special. And the thing I think about Evaldi is that, you know, he's had the other moments outside of it's one thing when you have the big performance in the win. But if you can have a performance in a loss that stands the test of time, and that's what his performance in, I think it was game four or five, six, whatever it was in the in the World Series against the Dodgers a couple of years ago. It's just he's had so many of these moments. He has come through in so many big spots. And it's just one of these resumes that, again, once he's once he's gone, the amount of Nate Evaldi conversations we're going to have is few and far between, but he is absolutely one of the kind of, it, it, it's a weird thing to say. Cause again, just name the pitchers of this era. And it's a long, long time on the list before you get to him. But when you start telling the postseason story of what it's been for this half decade or, you know, however you want to kind of put it in a time frame, he's been one of, if not the most successful postseason pitchers. Yeah. It's, the guy that I, I guess is the closest comparable and and his postseason run kind of does put Evaldi's to shame because he was he was essentially pitching in every single one of these games during that World Series MVP run was Madison Bumgarner who had has had a great great career incredible what he did yeah I mean that that guy just kept throwing they just kept throwing him out there and and he he kept coming through and and performing. Um, in that 2012 postseason run for the San Francisco Giants. So um, just quickly on Bumgarner, he's going to be one of those guys that in 
like 30 years, it's like you're going to get an old teammate of his who's a manager on. It's like, ah, you played with Bumgarner. You got to tell me a story about him. He is the, he is, he is like the, oh, I'm trying, I'm trying to think of, he's almost like a f- folklore character. Like he doesn't feel like a real human. Bumgarner. No. Uh, like he dated a girl named Madison Bumgarner. He cut <laughs> off a snake off of it and nursed it back to health, whatever it was. Like, there's so many stories about him. Impossible not to love the guy. Yeah, sorry. That was the 2014 postseason run. There's been a few for the San Francisco Giants. Is uh, Bruce Bochy. Only in, only in even years. W- yeah. Bruce, uh, Bruce Bochy. Uh, well aware. Uh, lastly, all right. Dallas going to go on a run here now? Like, it's, sometimes this happens where you get mm. sports momentum. It does like all the pro sports team in uh, pro sports teams in that area are all you can squint Good. and see the the potential postseason runs for the Cowboys for the Stars despite the fact that their their one regulation loss did come to the Toronto Maple Leafs but yeah that is their one regulation loss this season Mavericks haven't lost yet mm-hmm. like is this is this the start of something for the city of Dallas hold hold on. <laughs> Kyrie Irving will have a say in, in mm. the Mavericks season. So let's just let's just pump the brakes there. Uh, Dak Prescott and the Cowboys, we've seen this movie before. I, I am not buying. If it is a buy or sell of Dallas about to go on a run, the team I am most confident in of all of the other teams there is the Stars. And, hey, it's hockey. Like, they have just as good a shot to win the Cup as any of the other, I don't know, seven, eight teams we, we think can win it. But I... Uh, yeah, I think this is more likely the lone, the lone kind of run in this moment for for Dallas sports than the other. But you're, they they have their chances, like Cowboys, and like you said, Luca. I'm just I'm not buying the Kyrie Luca experiment. Uh, we'll we'll wait we'll wait and see on that. And by that I mean it will blow up in their face at some point in time. Yeah, we, I it really felt like the Raptors breaking through in 2019 was going to be. The, hey, like the the Leafs are right there. Like, is this <laughs> no? Is this it? it? Like, it's is this actually never happened? Yeah, no, it it, it didn't. Transfer no. over you don't to the think. world of hockey. You don't think, or or baseball for that matter? Did it? No, no, no. no the Blue Jays didn't even win no. a playoff game. No, the since Blue Jays. It actually is kind of fitting that the Blue Jays and Leafs have just become each other. It's mm-hmm. like the the Leafs and be respectable and get over a hump, but ultimately not do anything. And the Blue Jays just can't win a game or a round to save their life. Kind uh, of switch places from fifteen sixteen to now. Yeah, and and the Raptors have been on a precipitous decline since twenty nineteen as well. Uh, would have been nice to see them complete that full post Kawhi season without the interruption of, you know, the global pandemic. That would have been cool. Uh, but yeah, uh, ifs and buts. Uh, <laughs> they come up with their best performance of the season yesterday in shocking fashion against a team that is on the short list of favorites to win the NBA title. They hammer the Milwaukee Bucks 130 to 111. Yes, 130. And yes, we talked about plus. 400 the Raptors to team total finish under 100 points. I, I guess they were due to break out, especially against a Bucks team that is now dead last in the NBA in defensive rating. I mean, we, we do a Damn, lot of... can't win with them. Yeah, well... Oh, okay. I, I mean, they're, they're obviously going to figure it out to a better degree than being dead last in the NBA in, in defensive rating, but mm-hmm. there's there's legitimate concerns there on the defensive end that you are so bad with a defensive player of the year and Giannis Antetokounmpo. But, yeah, no, we do a lot of talking about schemes and Darko Ryakovich and the, the passing of mm-hmm. the basketball and, and, hey, getting away from isolation, and that's all well and good. And in and, and the long term... Yeah, okay, that's something to monitor. So often in this sport, it's 
Who hits the most three-pointers? Like, or miss. Nine of 14 from three between Scotty Barnes and Pascal Siakam. I, I think you're going to win a lot of basketball games if you're shooting like that. Yeah, it's amazing what some shots dropping early. I mean, we talk about this all the time in any sport. There's certain teams where starts are so, so important from them. This Raptors team is not a team that's going to come from behind the eight ball, and especially against a team like the Bucks, They come out, they play good defense to start, which doesn't surprise any of us. Even, you know, you and I were as low on the Raptors. I think as anybody uh, as anybody else's and even we will give them credit for the defense that they're capable of that they've shown they can play and then you hit some shots on the other side of things and you know shooting is contagious hitting is contagious I know people roll their eyes at that but sometimes it's true and you you kind of saw that to a certain extent last night and then for a team that's somewhat young is still kind of learning if we're gonna and I'm not doing this but if we're gonna believe in Bobby Webster's vibes theory that once things start kind of tipping the other way you can get out and running, playing a little looser and free. So, yeah, it's not I, – I, I won't say I'm not surprised. I'm shocked the way that game went last night. But it's amazing what happens when you just make a few shots early on in the game and things start to snowball in the right direction for you. Uh, Raptors against the Sixers tonight uh, on the back-to-back on Sportsnet 590, the fan, and Sportsnet 1. Yeah, you, you mentioned the, the offensive struggles were, were shocking um, considering the offensive struggles of a season ago. The this offense looked worse than it did last season, despite a, a, a new offensive philosophy. Um, but the defense had been good in the previous four games, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. The offense was due for a breakout, but the defense has been consistent now in each and every game this season. I keep thinking about the conversation we have with Michael Grange that in the NBA, if you are a team with consistent effort, and especially consistent defensive effort. It's hard to be a miserable basketball team record-wise if you're doing that on a nightly basis. And also, like, think back to those 50-win Raptors teams that kept mm-hmm. running into LeBron James in the postseason. Yeah. Those teams looked as good as they did early on in seasons. And what did we keep hearing? What was the common refrain out of Cleveland that – the NBA season for teams that are in contention doesn't really start until after Christmas. So mm-hmm. I, I'm sure the Milwaukee Bucks are going to look better than they they have looked early on in this season. Boy, they would certainly hope so in Milwaukee. Again, one, one of the teams that's expected to compete mm-hmm. for an NBA title. But this is, yeah, this is where you can pick off those teams. You can take advantage of a sleepy night like like you saw yesterday out of the Milwaukee Bucks. Yeah, you can. And just, you know, you mentioned the shooting there. It's, you know, I think a lot of people would see, okay, the Raps go just under 40% from from three there. But Gary Trent Jr., 0 from 5. Grady Dick, 1 from 8. It's Pascal and Scotty who were leading the way there. Scotty Barnes, 4 of 6. Pascal Siakam, 5 of 8 in, in that regard. And if I would have told you, forget at the beginning of the season, a week ago, that Grady Dick was going to play 21 minutes in a game where he went 1 from 8 for 3 and 2 of 10 from the field, you would wonder how many players on the Raptors had got hurt for Coach Tarko to be allowing that. But you see the effort, you see the buy-in, and I had to jot it down. There were two kind of back, well, not back-to-back plays, but he ended up taking the charge, which got a lot of play, rightfully so. But right before that, he tried to take, or I shouldn't say he tried to take the charge, but he got caught defending Giannis, driving to the the rim, and, you know, he had to foul him, obviously. Shocker, it went the way exactly you would think, but I cannot imagine what a welcome to the, like, everybody talks about their welcome to the league moment. 
I have to imagine having your feet planted outside of the restricted area with Giannis barreling down at you has got to be as much a welcome to the NBA moment as you could possibly have. And I think those are just little things you see from a player to see how he'll react. The fact that he was still super engaged in that game while going to attempt from the field, while going one of eight from deep, and that's what he's there to do. I think that's just a really, really good sign. I don't want to overstate it. It's not like he had a great game. He was... He was again. He was two of ten. No, he's the field. doing other things exactly. though to, to keep himself on the court. It, it is, yeah. It's 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 clear that he has he has ways to keep himself engaged, to keep himself as a valuable piece, even when the shot is not dropping. Not just a, a pure a stand in the corner, shoot a three player. Uh, no, he's a contributor on different levels for the for the Raptors. A guy that I didn't expect to be in the rotation as early as he has emerged as a rotation piece. But yeah, it's it's been great. It's been one of the one of the the highlights uh of the early part of the Raptors season. Also Otto Porter Jr. exists. He, he is he, alive. He, so is Garrett Temple. I saw that yeah. as well. No, but Otto Porter Jr. specifically this is a forty percent three point mm-hmm. shooter. Might have helped last year. Yep. If he was at all healthy, we'll see if he plays on a back-to-back, I, I, I highly doubt it. Although Kawhi Leonard is playing on back-to-backs now. It's, 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 Silver. it's, it's Silver's it's, got the gun to the <laughs> trainer's head there in L.A. Um, Get him out there. Yeah, no, a, a guy that you could see being a contributor on a team that struggles to shoot mm-hmm. the three-pointer. Yeah, Otto Porter Jr. being healthy and, and being available to this Raptors team. That'll help. Uh, they'll play the Sixers, though, tonight on Sportsnet 1, Sportsnet 590, the fan. Also on Sportsnet tonight, uh, our pal Nick Kiprios on the panel with Justin Bourne, as he mentioned yesterday. It's By uh, just regional l- game. Little PSA. Go- you should always listen to our show, of course, but also Real Kipper and Bourne. You, everyone needs to go listen to the last seven minutes of that show yesterday. It was completely unhinged in the best possible way while talking about the penguins and neck guards and everything. Just go listen to that show. It was wonderful. All right. Um yeah, listen to this show too. Listen, yeah, listen to back, back to back. Literally started by saying, "Listen to our show." Listen to them both. Maybe alternate, like do segment by segment. No, I like one in each headphone. Oh, that's a, that's a smart play. <laughs> All right, uh, Kipper and Bourne on the panel for tonight's game. It's the biggest test of the Leafs season against the Boston Bruins and the Ottawa Senators. Need a new general manager? Oh, man. We got to talk about this. Michael Andelauer spent almost a billion dollars. Bring back the four-hour show. Tell Bunk to sleep in. I need more time to talk about <laughs> uh, this. Michael Andelauer did the thing where he bought the house, uh, and they said, nah, the furnace is fine. Like, I know it's old, but it's it'll last you. And then, like, immediately stepped into the house, and the furnace was broken. Yeah, and as a guy who had to replace his air conditioner, <laughs> the second he moved into his house, I know exactly how that feels. <laughs> All right, we'll talk about that and more next. The Fan Morning Show continues. Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Fresh views on everything in the National Football League. It's The Fan Checkdown with Matt Marchese and Donovan Bennett. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Sportsnet 590, the fan, Ben Annis, Brent Gunning. 7.30 tonight, Sportsnet Ontario. Biggest game of the season for the Toronto Maple Leafs so far. Yep. Yep, would agree. Would agree. Yeah. I was yeah. about to ask if it was a guaranteed Bennis, what do you call it? TM must win by you only. Yeah, decided by me. No, okay. it, it, it's not. Okay. I was just, I was fishing. I mean, boy, yeah, it is kind of. See, I knew I could coax I, you there. Uh, it's not because the Bruins are, are good and you could see them 
putting forth a solid 60-minute effort and mm. getting shut down by the team that has been the best defensively in all the National Hockey League has yet to suffer a loss in regulation. But Brad Marchand didn't practice yesterday. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know, maybe not going to play in this game. Charlie McAvoy is out, suspended for yep. four games. So, those are some pretty, like, if you're going to point to key pieces the Bruins team, those are the top two. I'd say. <laughs> and neither are going to be... Possible. Well, McAvoy definitely not, and Marshan. I, I I would actually no, guess playing. that he's gonna play. He's he would. Playing. He would have to. I think be missing an appendage to not play in tonight's hockey game. But yeah, we talked about it after the Kings game. That that was such a horrible, horrible effort for flat. sixty minutes. Okay, call it flat. I guess flat almost feels like doing it a disservice. Yeah, that's what it was to me. It was flat. Yeah. Okay. Flat. It was like actually concave. Okay. It was it was not <laughs> I have seen so many bad leaf games over the year, and I don't want to paper over what that was that I need to save my bullets for more than flat. Yeah. Well, but that's gotten it's been worse. So so that's the point. It has been worse. And then, you know, we we've now gotten to a place that we understand that the next game is not gonna look like that, especially when it's somebody significant on the schedule. Mm-hmm. Is that necessarily a bad thing? Like, is that, like, they can get up. They will get up. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. You can predict when the effort level is going to be different, and that's tonight. So is that necessarily a bad thing? Like, hey, it is true that this team is going to be judged on anything that happens during the regular season. So why should they give a damn about a, a first game back at home after it's uh, a five-game road trip? Well, I'd like to I'd like to preface this with, as we are want to point out, uh, goaltenders are allowed to make saves, and teams are just allowed to get off to good starts where they don't have a blemish, like the Bruins. You are mm-hmm. you are in fact allowed to do that. But if I was given my druthers, because if the schedule was flipped. Boston first came back from home or first came back at home after the road trip. And obviously you wouldn't be going to LA on a one-off, but let's say it's a road game against a team of LA's caliber. Wouldn't you rather have the game where you're shot out of a cannon against the Bruins? Like I'm not, again, I am not excusing what happened on Mm -hmm. Tuesday against the Kings, but to move on from that and use it as the best possible example. If you're going to have, I asked the question, Yeah, if you're going to have a lay an egg game, you would have much rather had it against a team that, does not matter in your world at all. If the Kings matter in your world, it's because you're playing them in a cup final yeah. and we have to do all the Carrie Frazier Gretzky stuff. And I think you can get up for those you know, I, well, Stanley Cup final games. I certainly would hope, but honestly, <laughs> I am not going to take anything not for, for game granted. One, in that but one. if you lost That's game one, game point. two, you like, can't go down two games to none. No, it'd be the bad start of the second period. It'd be like <laughs> game two in Florida, or against Florida all over again. Anyways, I think with this team, you're right. It is, it is not a uh, by you guaranteed bus win. It is by me a guaranteed must effort and yeah, I'm not that's it. remotely worried about that tonight though you're gonna I mean Nylander's been giving you a full force all year long even though he like everyone else had a rough go of it last game but I just expect this team to be shot out of a a cannon tonight you look at a guy like and you know he obviously has had his warts rightfully so if this isn't a game where Ryan Reeves can find a way to do Something and I know Lucic isn't there, so it's not the fight. But mm-hmm. you got to blow somebody up. You got to take a hack at Pasternak. You got to do something out there tonight. So that's what I am looking for. Is just the. It's not going to feel like a playoff game because you, you you can't have everything feel like it. But 
This is going to be a, it's a different stick game. It totally is. It's a different regular season game. This isn't Tuesday against the Kings. It's right. definitely not Thursday against the Jackets. It's the Bruins. Yeah, the, first the Bruins one. view it the same way too, despite the fact that they've had way more postseason success than the Toronto Maple Leafs over this last half I think, decade. I run. think they look at it slightly differently. I think they look at this as a, and again, this is overstating it, but come on, we're talking here. This is a put your throat, put your foot on the throat of the Leafs game. Mm-hmm. If you wants to reassert yourself, yeah, you don't as have the, McAvoy, the kings of the Atlantic. Yeah, you don't have McAvoy. Marshawn banged up if he plays. Bergeron's retired. Krejci's gone. Chara's not here. They've had a different GM. There's a new head coach who, by the way, went and won a cup with Vegas, so maybe could have held on to him. But that's neither here nor there. There's just been so many through lines of this team that are that are no longer there, and that is why for Boston, I won't say it's equally as important because we've talked about the idea of house money all year long. They've got it in spades. But it's almost equally as important for the Bruins to snuff the Leafs out in this game, to let them know exactly who they are. Like for the Leafs, for because we've seen this Leafs team, mm-hmm. they get a little swagger, they get their head above water, and they get shot out of a cannon. It is entirely possible that the Leafs go into Boston tonight, have a great effort, and it is the it is what spurns them to a great little month run here. And I think it's almost just as important for Boston to kind of keep the Leafs down or snuff them out while they have the chance today. Well, and and they wouldn't be the only team that knows what the discourse is in Toronto when this team is struggling and would love to to have the conversation be tomorrow. Leafs have a horrible effort at home against the Kings, go out on the road against the Bruins without Charlie McAvoy and lose to the Bruins who are supposed to be taking a step back after losing Patrice Bergeron. What what are we what are we looking at? They would love for us to yeah. come on at at six o'clock tomorrow and be talking about an absolute disappointment of a 60-minute effort against the Boston Bruins. Uh, so, yeah, that'll be a whole lot of fun. 7.30 tonight on Sportsnet Ontario. Not as fun in the nation's capital these days. Mm, I should love Schadenfreude. <laughs> I suppose. And I do, like, it's, it's good from an entertainment standpoint when it comes to the owner. Uh, I guess Eugene Melnick was, was good for entertainment in a, in a different way. Again. I feel very differently <laughs> about this than the people of Ottawa. Uh, Michael Andlauer, he spent almost a billion dollars on... It's the Mitch Marner of, uh, of points. Almost a billion. It not was, quite. It was almost a billion dollars on a, a franchise and, and not a major, major market and a, and a team that at times has struggled to, towards profitability um, and, and not one that was ready-made to contend for a Stanley Cup title. Yesterday, he fired his GM, Pierre Dorian, after his team was docked a first-round pick somewhere over the next three years, and I guess they have to decide after the draft lottery. Uh, the reason they were docked a first-round pick is because they didn't hand over Evgeny Dadunov's no-trade clause, modified no-trade clause, where he had 10 teams that he could not be traded to, which included the Anaheim Ducks. They did not... Give that to the Golden Knights a couple of years ago when they traded him mm-hmm. to Vegas, and then Vegas didn't have it on hand when I think we all recall yes. that trade that was next to the Ducks to try and free up a bunch of cap space uh, because he said, hey, you know what? The Ducks are actually on my no-trade list. And First th- guy in history, by the way. Yeah, yeah what? To, to <laughs> say the Ducks on his no-trade right. list? Everyone has their Ducks on the must-trade-me-to y- list. Y- yeah, <laughs> uh, so good for him uh, that he had the Ducks on, on his list. Uh, we all assumed that it was the Vegas Golden Knights who screwed up massively, mm-hmm. and obviously they were embarrassed. Uh, obviously they were also angry. 
Obviously, the Anaheim Ducks were also angry. Who mm-hmm. could have gotten a conditional second-round pick out of that deal? Yep. Anyways, that was a million years ago. It was almost two years ago. That happened in March of 2022. Finally, the punishment handed down to the Ottawa Senators, who now have a new owner. And naturally, Michael Andlauer, not too pleased. I don't understand why it's taking so long, but I, maybe, maybe because the, the the club was for sale and they didn't want to disrupt, you know, so making sure the seller got the biggest price possible. I don't know. <laughs> At the end of the day, I'm, I, I I can't answer. You'd have to ask the NHL that question. Yeah, I I'd be also displeased <laughs> if I was. So here's setting the scene. He was aware of the investigation. Yes. That was underway involving the Evgeny Dadunov lack of no trade list being presented to the Las Vegas Golden Knights. But mm-hmm. he was assured, like, no big deal. Hey, punishment is going to come down. It's not consequential. Later, you, you, There's also a, a clip from Michael Andlauer talking about, hey, I don't know how you feel about first-round picks. But to me, that is consequential. Agreed. S- seems like I was, I was not in the loop on something that is pretty significant here. Also was unawares of the investigation into Shane Pinto, which apparently had already begun mm-hmm. when the the sale of the Senators was consummated. It's a, it's a rough look for the NHL, and, and good on Michael Andlauer for calling him out. That is the prevailing sentiment I've heard, but I got to be honest. I feel slightly different about this, Ben, and I'm a little afraid to bring this to the mic because I don't want Michael Andlauer to prove he has these people against me, but... It feels a bit like being a bad rich guy. Are you not supposed to have fixers, you know, like a Ray Donovan type or whoever Mike was from Breaking Bad? Are you not supposed to have people who know these things? Are you not supposed to be on the inside of all this? Like, you know, go pick your your billionaire, your, like Stan Kroenke. Mm-hmm. You think he's... You think if he buys a team, he's finding out a week later, he's got or a month later, he's got to forfeit a first round pick. I don't know that that's happening. Like in the world of powerful circles, this just seems very odd to me for someone with that much influence who was already a part of the league. This guy was a 10%, I think, stake owner in the Canadians before he was part of this world. Like I'm not completely absolving the NHL of this because I have my own problems with the actual punishment. We could talk about that in a sec, but I'll be honest. It's like, is that not part of doing business? And, mm-hmm. and and I understand there are some laws and rules, and I've seen lawyers weighing in about disclosure, and that's a kind of different conversation than what I'm trying to have here. I'm just looking at it from, you know, from what I understand about, like, super rich and powerful guys. Yeah. They know things. So to be on the outside looking in, I guess he understood this was an investigation, maybe not a possibility. But the Pinto thing as well, I don't know. Not a great look. Yeah, to me it feels like... His first day in prison, right? He's like his first day as the majority owner of the Ottawa Senators. And it's either you got to beat up a guy or you get beat up. Like you got to establish whether you're going to be pushed around during your tenure. So you should have gone to Jerry Bruckheimer and whoever he owns the, the Well, this with. So I think yesterday was instrumental in him saying, hey. Standing up for you're, himself. You're not going to shank me. I ain't going to be shanked. So this, this was him, just to continue our prison analogy here, this was him – Cracking a guy over the back of the head with a lunch tray 100%. after he got roughed up a little yes. bit. Yes, yeah, he's like, All right. yeah, no. I love it. 
<laughs> I, I did not expect you. As you know, uh, my Instagram algorithm thinks I'm going to jail one day, so I'm very up on, yeah. on all of this. Well, this only feeds into that. I, yeah. I know. It's I, like my I'm, phone's right here, and it's going, <laughs> I told you he's going to jail. Yeah, this is... Uh, Listen, he he can't be he can't be pushed around because this is he expect this expects this to be a long tenure as the primary owner of the yeah, Ottawa was, Senators, and if he's a guy that's just going to take it lying down, I mean now he's in the club. Like there's no there's no risk for him mm-hmm. now. That's tr- very Th- true. They cashed the check. Yes, he paid his money. Yeah, he's in the club, so he can rightly come down on the NHL um, and their punishment. But the Pinto thing too, man. I, I, I almost asked Emily Kaplan this when mm-hmm. we had her on because she's a, a great NHL insider and, yeah, yeah. and she's got her finger on the pulse. We'll talk to Frank Cervelli later on in today's program. And apparently there's like a 70-plus page report on what exactly went down between the Senators and the Golden Knights when Dadanov was traded to Feel, Las Vegas. Feels like a lot for not telling somebody one thing. Well, that's know. like, what the hell happened here? <laughs> because it, it cost a general manager his job. So, I mean, there's other reasons you can point to, and the Sens kind of middling start is, yeah. is part of it. But, like, there's nice pieces there. If you were, if you're, if you squint, like, you can see things mm-hmm. turning for the Senators. Nice nice young pieces. Yeah. Uh, cap situation's not ideal. But, like, yeah, they're they're building something there in, in Ottawa. But apparently this was so egregious that it pushed Ann Lauer over the, over the edge in, in requiring the dismissal of Pierre Dorian. Be kind of nice to know exactly what happened. Like, was it as simple as, oh, we screwed up, we forgot. And, like, oh, what, you, you couldn't have rectified that mistake, like, months later? Can, not that we need to, not that I would, yeah. read a 70-page report. No. But, like, can we have... I don't even want the Colstons. Can we have some information <laughs> on that? Can we have some information on the Shane Pinto thing? It's just such a closed door on both of those. Yeah, the Pinto is is mind-boggling. I, I still feel like we need a forget 30 for 30. We need a 60 on 60 on the, on the Shane Pinto thing. The interesting part about the Dorian firing is that you know, I'm I'm trying to remember the, oh, it was the, uh, you know, I was listening to Merrick talk about this and he was mentioning the uh, Lou Lamorello and Ilya Kovalchuk deal. And yes. he said the reason why the punishments got walked back there, at least some of the belief is that the front office hated the deal. That all came from ownership. So the thing I couldn't for the life of me understand is that if he was willing to throw Pierre Dorian overboard and clearly that's the case, uh, he got fired yesterday as why wouldn't the league give him the opportunity to do this earlier and say, all right, I'm going to put this on the GM. He's going to get canned. The other part that I have to mention in all of this, and it's it's the least, I won't say the least interesting, but less interesting than all of the machinations we've been talking about here is the punishment that got handed down for this is absurd. I'm not saying you cannot punish them a first round pick for that. And we don't need to get into all of the things the NHL has let slide. We'll just mention the city of Chicago and saying, look at the punishment for what happened there. It wasn't a first-round pick getting docked from your team. That is a massive asset. We see it all the time in other leagues where, you know, an NBA second-round pick is valued mm-hmm. at $500,000, a million dollars. You see cash go back and forth for those picks. What is a first-round pick no, worth in huge. the NHL? It's massive. So, well, especially a team that's building, too. A, a, well, and or... Or the other side of it, they want to be the Leafs and start trading away all their first-rounders to yep. get over this hump here. The the machinations of why it happened is interesting, but I am dumbfounded by the punishment in and of itself. That just seems no, doesn't so it, heavy-handed. Doesn't it feel like the NHL is like, well, okay, you're, you're new. He's, he's you're a new. new guy. 
yeah, we're gonna, we're, we're, yeah, we're gonna shank him in in the yard here. So and, what's and he's just gonna take it. They would. Do you think? Or I was about to say they would never, and I'll walk that back because I don't know. Let's just say it's the exact same scenario, and it is the Golden Knights who are at fault, and it is the Kraken who mm-hmm. are at fault. Do you think they feel any differently about doing that? To an expansion I team can't versus believe. a team like the same. Like, do you, do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, no, I can't believe you haven't come come up with this take that it's a Canadian franchise. Of course, Gary is going to well, let I mean, him have it, right? I, I just don't ride for the Sens that hard. But obviously, there's <laughs> something to this. Like, <laughs> I do. Do you think if it was the Kraken, they'd be getting docked a I first don't. round pick for this? I, I do not. A, not a chance. I do not. You know why? Because they need the Kraken well, to be good. And you know what else? I mean, Part of the reason this is such a severe punishment is because the Vegas Golden Knights had to wear this for almost yep. two years. And, yeah, that is a market that they don't want to upset. Mm-hmm. And they can point to this punishment and its severity. And now the court of public opinion now understanding that it's the senators who are at fault, even though, like, who the hell is still thinking about Evgeny Dadunov at this point as we're into November of 2023? But, yeah, they can, they can, they can tell Vegas – and that ownership group there that's been spectacular since uh, they expanded to Las Vegas and now Stanley Cup champions and say, hey, look at look at how much we respect you yeah. and how much we believe in you that we're able to levy one of the harshest punishments that we can on, on a franchise that has new ownership. Yeah, I think that's exactly what what happened here. And, you know, I, I know lawyer, again, just to go back to where we started on it, I know lawyers have, have talked about there maybe is some disclosure that should have happened, but of course, like, isn't it the NHL's job to bleed as much money? The same way, the same way the players union wanted Austin Matthews to sign a one-year $17 million extension. Every owner in the league wanted... Batman and whoever was handling the sale to bleed as much money possible out of that thing. That is what they are supposed to do. So I'm not going to say it was on the up and up. I'm not going to say this was a great move of virtue by the NHL or anything like that, but it's business. It's nasty. There's chicanery, there's mm-hmm. secrets. So the thing that I am, I, I guess I'll put a, put a bow on it with this. The thing I am most, I find it the funniest the way it all played out. But the thing I think is most egregious is the actual punishment. A first-round pick for this is ridiculous, especially considering some of the other things the NHL has punished much less severely. No, it's the only thing that matters. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's it's it's, well, it's uh, a little funny to laugh at Andular. That part <laughs> that matters too. Shout out to him. No, I'm, yeah, I, good. Like, <laughs> if I'm a, if, he's also uh, pandering very hard to his fans, which you should. Of course. I mean, if you're a Sens fan, who's not? Riding I mean, again, for could, Michael Andelauer after that. He could literally be just a stick drawing who you never saw, and you'd go, well, love him more than Melnick. So yeah. it's like the lowest of bars <laughs> to walk over there. But, yeah, uh-huh. how can you not love him if you're a Sens fan? Uh, when we come back, Leafs-Bruins tonight on Sportsnet Ontario. It's It's been a while since Fraser Minton was a Toronto Maple Leaf. I almost forget about him. Uh, the Bruins have a guy that was actually selected 16 slots after Minton who's going to stick around all season long, in fact, he's centering a line with uh, David Pasternak. Sliding doors. What if the Toronto Maple Leafs had taken Matthew Poitra uh, in 2022? Uh, we'll talk about that and more next as the Fan Morning Show continues. Ben Annis, Brent Gunning, Sportsnet 590, The Fan.